0: So I had this dream about 10 days ago, and it was actually before I remembered what I was gonna be preaching today. Um, And that'll have some relevance in a minute. But I don't remember my dreams very often. And so when I have a vivid dream and then I wake up and I remember it, I like to pause and just ask the Lord, like, Lord, was there something there that I was supposed to see? Um, God has, for millennia spoken through dreams and visions it's not always how he speaks but he has always done it and the prophet joel said that in the last days god would pour out his spirit and and god's sons and daughters would begin to prophesy and would see prophetic visions and dreams and so sometimes god does speak like that so when i have a dream i remember i like to just ask the lord lord was there something there for me in that and this one was pretty easy to realize like oh, okay god was speaking to me and i think he knew exactly what i needed because you know, the week before this last one, I was just, I was just wrecked. I was overwhelmed. I was emotionally just detached. I was just jacked. And um, so I had this dream. And in the dream, I was like a four or five-year-old Dominic, just super cute, curly hair, little teddy bear. And I was sitting on a cloud in the sky, and I was with Jesus. And as we're sitting there in the distance, I could, I saw fighter jets coming toward us. And then there was these missiles that were coming straight at us. And then there was one of those like old school arrows that you like dip in fuel and light on fire, like a flaming arrow coming through the sky. So naturally, I'm terrified. But what was crazy was as they got closer, it was like slow motion, as they got closer, they didn't actually get bigger. They actually got smaller and smaller and smaller until the point when, that they were like little tiny toys, and and right as I started seeing that, Jesus took his arm around me and he like, put my head in my in my head in his lap. And as they got closer to him, he started going like this to the little the little toy missiles and arrows, and he was making that sound just and as he did it, these things were like exploding in the sky, right? And and little me. Started like, he stopped being so afraid. Obviously, right? It was like, oh wait, Jesus is just like flicking these things. They were becoming like little dust particles in the air, and this scene went on for for a while. Just me sitting there and laying in Jesus' lap, and him just flicking all these things that were had looked massive and scary. And um, I woke up, and I was just sitting there, and it was pretty easy for me to be like, okay, Lord, I know what this means, right? It's like pretty point blank. But I felt like God just spoke to my heart and and said, "Um, Dom, this this is where you live. This is where you live in this place with me. This is your home and everything in your life was intended to be seen from this perspective, from my perspective, I heard him say. Apart from me, those jets and missiles and flaming arrows are overwhelming, impossible to overcome. But when you see them like I see them, you'll see that they're no big deal. From where I'm seated, your giants become like ants and your mountains like dust. And you don't even need to fight to overcome. What you need to do is change your perspective. My perception and my perspective in the dream was changing my reality. And my position on the cloud with Jesus is what allowed for my change of perspective, which changed my reality. And the closer that I got to the position of Jesus the closer that my perspective got to that of Jesus and the more his reality became my reality. And then the next day, I realized, wait a minute, this is the passage I'm preaching. Because I hadn't looked at the passage yet. This is the passage I'm preaching on Sunday. Let's read it again. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus title of the sermon is Kingdom Perspective, because perspective is key to this passage if it is to bear practical, real-life fruit in the life of the believer. In chapter 1, we saw that Jesus was seated in the heavens, and now here in our passage, we are also seated in the same heavens. And we spent the last couple weeks with Billy digging into the fact that we have passed from spiritual death to life. But today, the progression continues as Paul says, yeah, but it doesn't stop with life. It continues to being ascended into the heavens with Christ. Not only as God raised us from the dead, right? We don't follow Jesus just out of the grave. We follow Jesus into the heavens. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but the heavens doesn't mean like, heaven, the place you go when you die, it's speaking about the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm, the realm where God exists, which is outside of time and space. It's the realm where demons and angels exist and where God is on the throne and Jesus at his right hand. And this place is where God sees everything from. And as children of God, this is where we can see everything from too. But listen, you only get to see like the king when you are with the king. I've been hearing about people for the last couple of years more and more, it's becoming more and more like a in vogue thing, that people are hiring these shamans, these like spiritual guides, and then they're going out into the wilderness and into the deserts and they're taking these psychedelics with them in hopes to ascend to some different reality some different realm. They, don't, they wouldn't call it the heavens, but that's what they're doing there. They're wanting to ascend to the heavens. That's what that is. It's a spiritual realm. And they're right for wanting to ascend beyond our own realm. And they can do it. We know people who have been there. Some people who are a product of the 60s. You, you lived in that place maybe, right? You were, you were doing psychedelic drugs. You were in a different place. You can do that. Every human being was given the capacity by God for eternity. The Bible says that God has placed eternity in our hearts. We were made for a realm beyond ourselves. But to try to ascend to the heavens with no connection to the king of the heavens is like eating a bowl of ice cream without the ice cream in it. It's like, that's a nice bowl, right? It's like nice materials, maybe a nice spoon, but it lacks the substance. It's just a bowl. It's just a facade. It's a deception is what it is. People desire to ascend to the heavens to interact with something or someone greater than themselves. And there are beings in the heavens, but there's only one king of the heavens. The prophet Isaiah wrote about him when he saw a vision. Isaiah 6, he said, I see the Lord. And he's seated on the throne." And the temple is filled with his glory. And the whole earth is full of his glory. God did not just raise you up, Christian, to the heavens to interact with beings in the heavens. He raised you up to the heavens to interact with the creator and king of the heavens. And if you want real life perspective change, that lasts longer than a few hours or a few days, you don't just need the heavens. You need intimate, ongoing, living relationship with the king of the heavens. Because he's where the fullness of the glory dwells. He's where the fullness of the change of reality dwells. He's where the full right perspective and authority and power and victory is. If you wanna see things like the king sees them, you gotta be where the king is. And as a child of God, this is actually exactly where we are. This is not just us in the heavens. This is us with Christ who is in the heavens. I'll read it again. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ. So there's two prepositions here we see. There's with and in, right? Right? We are raised uh, with him, or we are seated with him, and we are in Christ. First, we are with him. It's speaking of the Father, God the Father here. We are in the presence of the Father. We are with the Father. We are in proximity to the Father. And just like I place my kids on my lap, I can only pick up one of them anymore. He's six, Kingston. Just like I pick up Kingston, I place him on my lap, so God the Father picks up his children and places us on his lap. Now, I know that's uncomfortable for some of us to imagine because it's like, dang, to see God that intimate and that close, I just, I just don't know. And to see myself that humble is like a little child. like I just don't know. But guys, God is our father. And Jesus said in Matthew 8, 13, 8, 3, I think, that you actually have to make yourself like a little child. You have to be converted to be like a child if you are to receive the kingdom of God. So we are in Christ. I'm sorry, we are with the Father, and we are in Christ. In is the other preposition here. Now, I'm talking to born-again Christians, but if you have turned from your sin and turned toward Jesus, and you have received him into your heart as the king of your life, then God has given you his Holy Spirit. And when he gave you the Holy Spirit, you were born again. And when you were born again, you took on the character of Jesus. To be in Christ means to take on the character and essence of Christ. To be in him means that you have been clothed in who he is. You have been clothed in his righteousness Christian, you have been clothed in his identity. You have been given his perspective. That's what most of chapter one was about. His perspective is yours now. What's his is yours, and where he is is yours. How he now sees, then, is how you can see. That's what it means to be in Christ. And where Christ is, is where the power and perspective is. Let me say it like this. The power is in the presence. Can you, just, can you say that? The, power is, the power is in the presence. Okay. And the perspective is in the presence. Can you say that? The perspective is in the presence. The in the presence. Listen, I need power. I need real-life power to raise me above circumstances in my life. And I need real-life, godly perspective to see things like he sees them. Otherwise, they're just massive missiles and flaming arrows and jets coming at me. I need to see them like Jesus just... Right? I need his perspective. I need his power and I need his perspective. But the power and the perspective of God are made a reality in the life of the believer when we get in the presence of God. I don't need to talk about God. I need to be with him. The sun, for instance, does me no good if I'm inside just talking about its glory, talking about its power, talking about its warmth and how it's the source of all energy. I need to get outside in its presence. It's like these people who read their Bibles for 30 years every day, go to church 30 years, but you kept Jesus at an arm's length out of fear or not not knowing what's gonna happen if I let him like really in. And so you keep him at an arm's length wondering why you've lived a life spiritually void of power. The power is not in the understanding or the learning or the reading or the receiving of the good sermon. The power is not just in the ascending to the heavens. The power is in the presence of God who is in the heavens. If you want power and perspective like God, then you got to get in his presence. It's noteworthy here that um, like Jesus was seated, last chapter in Ephesians chapter one, where he was seated high above the principalities and the powers and all that, that we are now seated with him as well. It says here that he raised us up and seated us with him. What does it mean to be seated? Well, first of all, to be seated means to be free from working. You sit down when you're done with the job. And Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Not because he was tired. Jesus didn't sit down because he was tired. He sat down because he was finished. The job was done. The victory was won. Jesus isn't standing because Jesus doesn't need to stand. He already stood up once and for all when he rose from the dead. And now he has ascended to the heavens and has sat down at the right hand of God because the job is done. And everything that he does now, he does from a place of finality and victory. Let me say it again. Everything that Jesus does, he does from a place of finality and victory. That's what it means when we see him sitting down. And we are seated with him. What's his Is ours, And Paul is driving home this point like a double whammy when he's like, hey, you're with God. And it's like, wait, what? I'm in the courts of the king? Like that's where all the power and authority is. And then he's like, yeah, and you're sitting with him. You're sitting with him. As in your position has so much authority that you don't even have to stand up to assert it. You know how people stand up like, hey, I just wanna make sure you know I'm here. You stand up, you puff your chest, right? He doesn't have to stand up to assert it. Jesus doesn't have to stand up to squash the devil. He's already squashed. He doesn't have to stand up so that things like cancer know that he's got the authority. He sits down from victory and speaks words and stuff starts obeying, demons start fleeing. sickness starts going away, dead people just raise, right? He's already got the authority. He is seated in authority, in the place of completed victory. And this is the place that we are seated in too. Hear this, Jesus doesn't fight for the victory. Jesus fights from the victory, and he invites us to do the same. So to be seated means to be free from working, but also to be seated means to be free from fighting. If, uh, if you're worried about um, fighting against an opponent, the, the physical posture you take is not sitting down, right? Like I, when Kingston, he's six. When Kingston wants to wrestle with me, I sit down on the couch, right? And I just like throw him around from the couch. There's no fight. He's six years old. Now when Billy wants to wrestle me, I stand up, right? There's a, there's a fight there. Hear me. Jesus never has to stand up. There's no fight. He sits in his place of authority, flicking the opposition with his finger like it's little specks of dust. Every opposer is a footstool for the king of kings. Saw it a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians 1. He, that is the father, subjected everything under his, that is Jesus, feet and appointed him as head over everything. Jesus sits down because he's got the victory. And we have been seated in him. And notice that we have been seated, as in somebody sat us down. Paul doesn't say, and you sat down. He says, you have been seated. You have been seated. Billy hit it last week. But this is an act of grace. It is something that is done to us and for us. It's not something we deserve. It's not something we earn. It's not something we can lose. Grace means something that is done to you and for you as a gift. And Paul is telling the believers here, you can't seat yourself in the heavens in Christ. You are seated by God in the heavens. It's like a one-year-old in their little high chair thing at the restaurant. Somebody's got to seat them in there. Now a the little one-year-old can't crawl up on the booth seat and then up onto the table and then like balance and like fall into the high chair. They die. Nobody does that. You can't do that. They got to be seated, right? They got to be seated. We have been seated by God. It's not something we could do. Sure, you could take some psychedelics and meditations to transport your mind to somewhere else. But those things can't permanently seat you in the heavens with the king. Only the king has the authority to seat people in his courts on his throne. And he only gives that authority to his kingdom kids. So if I'm seated with Jesus in the heavens, partaking of all that he is, Participating in all who He is. Personally, I like to know, like, yeah, Lord, but like, what are we working with here? Like, how bad cool are you? Right? Like, if I'm in you and I'm partaking of you, what does that mean? What does that mean? Because I got real life drama. Like, I have real life struggles. This afternoon, I'm gonna be discouraged. Something's gonna hit me, some lie is gonna come into my mind. I'm gonna have some kind of tension with somebody I love. I have real life stuff. So like, Lord, what does this mean though for me? Like, what are you really? If I partake of you, what are you really? So here we go. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but for the Christian, here are eight, I believe, life-changing realities about what Jesus has, who Jesus is, who, and what Jesus does. We're talking about being seated with Christ in the heavens, with partaking of who he is. This is the kind of stuff we're talking about. Eight things. Number one, every demonic force is subject to Jesus. Number two, every angelic force is subject to Jesus. Number three, Jesus has authority over every name, title, and origin. What's the name? What's the name? What name the thing right now that you're just like, it's that. That's rocking me. What's the name? Discouragement. Yep, Jesus has authority over it. Hopelessness, yep, Jesus has authority of it. My sickness, yep, Jesus has authority of it. That relational tension, yep, Jesus has. Fear, yep, Jesus has. Jesus has authority over every single name, title, and origin. Number four, Jesus raises people from the dead. It's kind of a big deal. Number five, Jesus has authority to heal terminal illness and chronic disease. Number six, Jesus controls nature. Number seven, Jesus speaks. And things are created from nothing. Nobody does that but Jesus. Number eight, Jesus is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Every massive, impossible situation or giant in the heavens or on earth, he has already overcome it and has full power and authority over it. And Jesus said then, and you're going to do even greater things than what I've done. But these are like massive, epic, like huge things, right? So here's another eight that maybe will we'll bring it home a little bit more for us. Number one, Jesus has unfailing love for the hated and shunned. Think Jesus dining with prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners, people who are just outcasts. Think Jesus touching the leper in Matthew chapter eight. Number two, Jesus has compassion and patience with the difficult and rebellious. Everywhere Jesus went, just so many people nagging him. I'd just be done if I was Jesus. But John, nonstop compassion. Number three, Jesus was 100% selfless while never giving up his authority. Number four, Jesus forgave the worst betrayals. Think Peter denying Jesus three times in a row, Jesus asking the Father, to forgive the very people who were crucifying him. Number five, Jesus was content with little. Number six, Jesus was confident and secure in who he was. Seven, Jesus lived perfectly and was perfectly victorious over sin. And number eight, Jesus was and is the prince of peace. This is sovereign, pure power and authority. This is who Christ is. And when the Bible says that we, the children of God are in him, it is saying that we are in all of who Christ is and all of who Christ is, is in us. Which is why this Jesus thing matters and why it is everything and why all that other like spiritual ascent stuff is just a shadow and a false reality because you don't get Jesus with that. You don't get Jesus. You don't get any living, breathing, moving relationship with the King of Kings, which means that your new reality and your new perspective is only as good as your last experience. But Jesus is not an experience. He's a living being. And he's present in every single moment of my life, which means that my New reality and my new perspective is not contingent on a temporal experience. It is contingent on an con- eternal king. And it's a king that I am with. And a king that is with me. In this passage, we're talking about us being seated in the heavenly places, right? Ascending mentally, emotionally, spiritually to the the, the heavens. But next chapter in chapter three, it's gonna talk about Christ being seated in us, making his home in our hearts. Jesus isn't just out there in some wilderness. He's right here in all my mess. Jesus doesn't wait in the heavens for us to ascend to him. 2,000 years ago, he descended To us. And when he died and then rose from the dead and ascended physically back to heaven, he didn't leave us as orphans. He said, I'm leaving you my spirit. I'm leaving you my spirit. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, because my spirit is in you. We have the spirit of Christ living in us. This is our present living reality. Michael Crichton, the author of uh, Jurassic Park, in his autobiography writes about how he went through a pretty heavy midlife crisis, and he was at a loss. He had hit a creative wall and was having writer's block, which is not a good thing to have when you make a living writing, right? And so he accepted his friend's invitation to go into a, uh, to a desert retreat where he was taught over the course of several weeks to meditate He took psychedelic substances, he learned to bend spoons with his mind and transcend the physical limitations of his body and the earth. And it was profound for him, to say the least, a profound experience. However, after returning home, he quickly descended once again into a writer's block and soon realized that this experience he had had was only as powerful as the drugs were present, only as powerful as the desert sun only as powerful as the gurus and the absence of the other responsibilities in his life. And the further he got from the experience, the further he got from the perceived glory. He finally concluded that he was going to need to find a more portable and practical way to face his life's very present everyday difficulties. The glory is found in the person of Christ. And when we become a child of God, we are given a home in the heavens and Christ makes his home in us. You don't have to ascend to the heavens. Christ has descended to us and there is this mutual back and forth. Thing And now his identity has become our identity. His position has become our position and his perspective has become our perspective, which means that I don't have to see my circumstances from my overwhelming point of view when I can see them from his overcoming point of view. I'm in him. This means that I can now pray with authority and faith for people who are terminally ill or fully demonized or for the impossible situations because Jesus has authority over it all and I am in Jesus. It means that I can forgive somebody who wrongs me, not just because Jesus has forgiven me, but because he's forgiving in nature and I have now taken on his nature. I am in him. It means that I don't have to drink too much. I don't have to eat too much. I don't have to medicate with substances or pills. I don't have to click on that sexy image on my home screen and mess up the covenant with my wife. I don't have to. I don't have to give in to sin because Jesus is victorious over sin. I mean, how many of us are living like sin's got the victory in our lives? Sin doesn't have the victory, Jesus has the victory and you are in Jesus, which means that you're victorious. People be living like like sin gets to tell us what to do. Sin doesn't get to tell me who I am and what I do. I get to tell sin what it is and what it does. And what sin does is it bows to Christ in me. That's what sin does. Be listening to sin, like telling us what to do. What if you told sin for a change what to do, right? What if it had to listen to you for a change? Stephanie Gritsinger, the worship leader, recently said... We spend so much time and energy trying to keep our giants at arm's length when what we should be doing is chopping off their heads, which is, by the way, what we have power and authority to do. But we act like this with sin. We act like this with with lies. We give in to false narratives. We let suffering and sickness define us and prevent us from moving forward. And we certainly do, do this with demonic opposition. We're like, man, it's the devil. I can't, there's no fight here. But did you see the ranking system in our passage today? Listen, you've thought about this before. Here's how the ranking system goes. Because everywhere there's always a ranking system, right? It goes like this. The Father, okay, Son and Holy Spirit are with him. God, no big deal. We got that. You're like, yeah, 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 he's the one. And then demons and angels. We're like, yeah, I get that. And then humanity, okay? That's how it is. But where's the redeemed humans? In Christ! We're seated up here. We are seated up here. That is our perspective. That's where we get to live. That's where we are seated. But here's the rub because there's a dichotomy here, right? Like, I don't actually live in the heavens. I live on Town Forest Court, right? I don't live in the heavens. The dichotomy is that I am in Christ, but not actually physically with Christ in the heavens yet. The dichotomy is that the kingdom of God is already and not yet. I am seated in the heavens and still living on earth, which is why, by the way, we have a theology of both healing and suffering. We have a theology of healing because the kingdom is already here. And where the kingdom is, there is healing. And King Jesus is here. And where the king is, there is the kingdom. And where the kingdom is, there is healing. So we have a theology of healing, and yet Jesus is not physically here, and He has not physically brought His kingdom, He has not physically brought Heaven to earth where there is a new heavens and new earth. And so the kingdom is already, and yet it is not yet, which means we both have a theology of healing, but because the kingdom is not fully yet, we have a theology of suffering. The power of sin and suffering has been broken in the life of the believer, but the presence of such things is still here. When Christ returns, the presence and the power of such things will be done away with. But we're not there yet, which means that as long as we live on the earth, there will be sin and suffering. However, the reality of our passage today is that while my body is here on earth, my perspective can be in the heavens, which is actually where my real home is anyways. Full confession though, most, most of my life, I don't, I don't, I, I live like the earth is my permanent residence. I don't live like heaven is my home, but it is. We're just pilgrims passing through, which is why Peter wrote to the church and said, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. In other words, guys, you weren't made for the things of the world, so stop acting like it. You're visiting here. Don't get too comfortable. Your home is in the heavens. Have you ever uh, been on vacation at just like some incredible spot that you just didn't want to leave? No? Yes, okay. So a few years ago, I was on tour in Brazil. And Brazil's like 50-50. It's a developing country, right? So it could either be like below Motel 6 or you're at the Ritz, right? And we, have, we were saying in this, we played a show in the city called João Pessoa. And it's this cool little beach town, this little coastal town. And we, surprisingly, rarely, this happened. We had two days off in Jean-Posso. And the promoter put us up in the Ritz. It was this sick five-star hotel right on the beach overlooking the entire coastline. He gave them his credit card, said, hey, whatever you guys want, it's on me. Any kind of room service is on me. I got my own suite, top floor. I was like, oh, I'm going to make myself at home here, right? I don't ever use those drawer things at the hotel, or the dresser things. But I unpacked every single item of my clothing just like I was moving in, I set up some flowers, a little candle, pictures on the wall. I was like, I was staying, right? I was making myself comfortable. But no matter how hard I tried to make myself comfortable, it never even crossed my mind that maybe I could live here. My life wasn't there. My life was in California. My wife was in California. My kids were in California. My whole world was in California. It never crossed my mind. That maybe I could live in John Pasol in this big old sick hotel. I was just visiting John Pasol. And that's all this is here. We're just visiting, guys. Now, we're visiting with a purpose and a commission and a mission. We're not on vacation. But we're pilgrims passing through. This isn't our permanent residence. So don't make yourself too comfortable with the treasures of this world. Because the heavens are your home. And don't make yourself too comfortable with the sufferings of this world because this is not the end for us. Somebody say amen. Amen. The heavens are our home which means that I don't have to be overwhelmed by the hardships of my life even though they may be many and I don't have to care about that sick house you just bought because I got a mansion in the heavens. I get to live like the best and worse stuff in my life is but for a moment and is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. And Paul is saying here, yeah, but, and, we can live like our heavenly home is more than just a future destination. We can live like it is a present reality. And it's when we lose sight of this that everything gets all jacked up because the application of these truths only becomes meaningful in our lives when we let the reality of them affect our present circumstances. Let me say it again. Everything changes for the better when we begin to let the realities of heaven affect the circumstances of our lives. Everything changes for the better when I begin to see my life through the lens of heaven. Perception is reality. Change your perspective, change your reality. Listen, there's obstacles in my life that seem insurmountable at times. Like I, I can't, I can't overcome that. I can't find that healing. I can't get to the point where I'm okay and at rest. It's impossible for me to get through or get over. But what would happen if I could see things from God's perspective? God, give me your eyes. Change my perspective. You change my reality. To give you an idea, this is how God sees the perceived mountains and giants in our lives. Check this out Isaiah 40, verse 12. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? It's giving us perspective here. Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? What? God spans the entirety of the galaxies with his fingers. Church, God has a scale in heaven that he weighs my insurmountable mountains on. Like, like a little kitchen scale. Like Aubrey over here, she's a, she's a barista, right? She's got this scale for her coffee and she's like, it's 2.1 grams for seven gallons of water, right? I'm like, this mountain's too big. And God's like, it's .25 grams on my scale in heaven, right? My mountains are like little particles of dust to the God who holds the oceans in his hands. That's how he sees them. And Christian, that's how we get to see them. We get to change our perspective. We get to change our perspective, which will then change our reality. You don't have to live in the depths of your circumstances when Jesus has raised you above your circumstances. Matthew Henry says, sinners roll themselves in the dust. Sanctified souls sit in heavenly places. Are raised above the world. The world is as nothing to them. Saints are not only Christ's freedmen, but they are assessors with him. They are not only servants, but they are exalted to reign with him. They sit upon the throne with Christ as he has sat down with his father on his throne. Christian, you have been raised up to sit on the throne with Jesus. You are in him, and he is in you. What's his is yours, and where is his is yours. You are seated there, and that's where he invites you to live from. But listen, we got to participate in this. You have to participate in this reality because it is a gift of grace, as in we can't earn it or deserve it, but we can certainly choose to not apply it and appropriate it to our lives. It is grace, but you gotta partner with God in his grace and receive it and lean into it and surrender to it. You can't be crawling out of your heavenly seat with Jesus. You gotta submit to that. It's grace, but you gotta appropriate it to your life. God has given us the mind of Christ so that we can see with a new perspective. But we need to participate in that mindset. We need to participate with God's power and perspective. Can you just say participate? Participate. To participate with God's power and perspective, we have to, number one, rehearse his promises. This is a huge one for me. I have to to rehearse like, okay, Lord, you're faithful. Okay, you're the prince of peace. Okay, you said you were never going to leave me. Okay, you said that that you know what I need before I even ask. I need to rehearse who God is. I need to rehearse his promises. Next, I need to combat lies with truth by ingesting the truth of God's word. Not just reading, ingesting. Paul would say, and do not be transformed to this world. Let me, let me say it like this. Do not be transformed to the thinking patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to the thinking patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You bring truth in where there was lies. And where your flesh and your sin want to lie to you, you bring in the truth of Jesus. And all of a sudden, the lies of the flesh and sin begin to submit to the truth of Jesus. We take every lie captive to the obedience of Christ. And and every time we do that, we teach our sin and our flesh who's in charge. Every time we make our, our flesh submit to Jesus, the flesh learns, ah, Jesus is here. Oh, truth is here. I know where my place is. It's like when my dog knows that I'm the alpha man in the house and I come around and she's like, eh, right? When sin and the flesh see the truth of Jesus enough, they start to learn. They start to learn where their place is and learn to submit. We combat lies with truth. That is the transforming of our minds. Next, we receive the filling of the Spirit so that we can see with spiritual eyes. And not walk in the flesh. And lastly, we bask in the presence of God, partaking all of who he is. The power and the perspective is in the presence of God. And our passage concludes here, telling us where this all leads in verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The NLT translates it perfect and simply when it says that God has done all this so that he can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. In other words, the blessing of our redemption doesn't stop with us. We want more people to come in and experience this glory. God is utilizing every facet of our life and our redemption for a purpose beyond ourselves so that in the ages, decades, generations to come, the testimony of God's grace in our lives might shout loud of how good God really is. After I had that dream about the clouds, I was sitting there and last thing I heard the Lord say was, Don, when all you can see is the pain and stress of your life, you begin to lose sight of who I am and where I am and lose sight of who you are and where you are. Guys, when we choose to live like the earth is our home, we lose perspective and forget our God-given place in the kingdom. So today, remember who you are and don't forget that you are seated in the heavens already and that the king of heaven is seated in you. See life from that perspective today and allow that kingdom heavenly perspective to transform your present reality. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, this is powerful to read and talk about. It sounds really wonderful to be able to live and see things like you do. And yet, Lord, it, this alone can just seem like an unscalable mountain to get my mind there. And so we need the supernatural working of your spirit. I ask that you would give us your spirit now to change the way we think and see. I ask that you would show each person here very practical ways to rehearse your promises, to combat the lies, to be full of your spirit, and to bask in your presence. We're going to have a time now, we call it the second set. And the second set is designed for us to pause and respond to what God's doing in our lives, whether that's this morning or this week or this season. This may be the only time in your entire week when you stop long enough to just quiet the noise and listen and spend some quiet time with God. So I'd encourage you to to not just go out and make your your life noisy again, but to stay and respond right now. The carpets are up front for us to take physical postures of praise. The communion elements are here for for us to remember what Christ has done as we take the body, the bread and the, the cup, and remember his body was broken, his blood was shed for our redemption and cleansing. And there's gonna be some people on the right and the left that are a part of our prayer team. And we love these people. We trust them. I go to them for prayer. Um, If you find yourself today where you're like, I I can't see from that perspective. I don't feel the power as if I was with Christ. And I, I don't have the lens to see as if I was with Christ. These people would love to pray for you. Just get up come and ask them. This is a prayer that I need. I pray over myself. These people would love to pray for you. And listen, if you found yourself here today, you're not a follower of Jesus. You may like him. You may follow some of his principles, but you've not given your life to him and invited him into your heart to be the king, the ruler over everything in you. Today, he is inviting you into his kingdom family. And the Bible says, repent. It's this beautiful word. We've given it like a bad rap, but it's this beautiful word that simply means to turn away from destruction and turn toward life because you have this disease called sin that's leading you to destruction, but Jesus is life. And so today he says, turn toward me. I want to give you life. I don't want to just bring you to the heavens. I want to bring you to me, the king of the heavens, where all the power and life and authority and hope is. In this life, you will have trouble, but Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world that you live in. Today, he invites you into his family. I'm going to be right over here. If you want to meet Jesus, you want to come into the family of God, you can come come talk to me. I would love to, with you, just talk to God. We call that prayer. I'd love to just talk to God with you. Either way, let's spend this time now responding to who God is and what he's saying and doing in our lives.